Have you ever been called big boned, chubby, fatty, or other hurtful names? Hi, I'm registered dietitian nutritionist, Dr. Susan Mitchell. Let's go beyond bariatric surgery and talk about everything you need to move on. Don't go anywhere. We're talking to Marty Wolf, who calls himself the chubby whisperer. He'll share his experience with name calling, his struggle with obesity, appearance on NBC's The Biggest Loser, and his mission now. You don't want to miss it. If you've had bariatric surgery, you need a specific bariatric multivitamin, not an off-the-shelf version. There's a big difference. In Australia, choose BN Multi. Find them at beyondbariatricsurgery.com in the shop. Joining me via Skype from Omaha, Nebraska, is Marty Wolf. From birth, his doctor affectionately called him Big Boned. Marty has always struggled with obesity. He was selected to participate in the weight loss reality series, you probably know it, on NBC, The Biggest Loser, where after eight months, he lost 146 pounds, but not without a lot of ups and downs. You can find out more about Marty, and you can find the link to listen to his TEDx talk on our website, beyondbariatricsurgery.com. Just click on the podcast for his episode and then the show notes, or you can go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash beyondbariatricsurgery. Welcome to the podcast, Marty. Thank you so much for having me on, Dr. Susan. Well, you know, Marty, before we talk about The Biggest Loser and what happened afterwards, I want to go back. I want to set the stage with your story early in life, if you're willing to share it and tell us about it. Sure, I'd love to. Um, You know, I grew up actually right here in in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, I always... um, you know, growing up, the doctor was correct. <laughs> I was big boned. <laughs> I was I was just a big kid. I was thick. I really wasn't um, what you would call what I would call fat. Um, I was very athletic growing up. Loved sports. Got into football. Uh, my dad and my uncle owned a little league football team um, here in the local metro area. So I started playing sports. I absolutely loved them. I was physical. I was very very active. Um, and then when I was six years old, my uh, my father passed away, and our whole family uh, dynamic changed. And and it's at that point that I can really pinpoint uh, the beginnings of um, emotional eating and uh, what what I refer to as my food addiction. I can pinpoint it back mm-hmm. to that specific time of of my life and having to deal with uh, adult-like traumas as a six-year-old who doesn't really understand exactly what's going on around him at all times. I would agree with that. I think many people who talk about emotional eating can say, you know what, I started emotionally eating when XXX. So I think that's great that you can say this is when it started for me. Okay, so come forward from that point. Well, you know, I... um, I remember when I was in fourth grade, <laughs> um, I was uh, bullied on the playground. I uh, slipped and I fell in some mud when I was playing soccer. And I literally had mud caked up the side of my body. I mean, I don't even know why they didn't tell me to go home and get changed right then and there. But I was I was a, a mess. And on the way in, there was a um, there was a kid and I won't uh, say his name. Um, <laughs> But uh, there was a kid that pointed and stared at me, and he was the really cool kid in class. And he said, "Why don't you go home and take a shower, you fat effing pig?" <gasps> and I remember the, bullying uh, it at its yeah. youngest and in, in its ugliest form at a very young age. And I remember uh, a, a hurt 
unlike anything else. Um, and it just didn't make sense to me. It just didn't well, make sense. No. To me. I'm more athletic than you. And I, you know, I put a lot of emphasis on being an athlete. My dad was, you know, a coach and I'm just like, why would somebody make, make fun of me when I could, when I can beat them at all these sports? Like, why would, like, it just didn't make, but it was a true bully. And, and I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I just, um, I just, uh, took the beating. And, um, I remember feeling, uh, going home and crying and never wanting to hurt that way again. It just felt so raw. I felt so exposed. I didn't know what to do. I was humiliated. Sure. And, uh, I can now, years later, look back and pinpoint that as a secondary trauma in my life, and and because it really changed how I operated from the core. Um, from that day forward, I really started celebrating my obesity. Uh, I would. It was important to me that I let people know that it was okay with me that I was fat before they could ever have the chance to sting me and hurt me with a comment. Uh, so I would start making fun of myself. And then uh, this is the beginning of something that I still use to this day, which is uh, a self, self-deprecating self humor. And, uh, you know, I, I always thought if I just make fun of myself, somehow it stings a, a, a little bit less. I have come to use this as a certain armor in my life. Um, it's a part of my podcast that I use. I also understand it can be a harmful thing uh, as well uh, in my life, uh, and I've had to overcome uh, this identity of being the the chubby fat guy. And this led all the way up until The Biggest Loser. So right before I got on The Biggest Loser, I was a high school teacher for three years in Kansas City, Missouri. And uh, in my classroom, uh, I could, of course, regulate whether we had food in my class or not. Right. Well, what I had, what I instituted the Mr. Wolf rule, and it was a tax. So if kids brought food into my class, I got I got 50% of the food. So um, they would, it, it developed into a joke. So the students would bring large quantities of food into class, and then I would go around and collect the Mr. Wolf tax at the very beginning of class. It would catch on and the kids would like it. They would throw Skittles at me in the middle of class. And I just played this role that I've always played that I can really pinpoint where this all developed from getting hurt as a 10 year old, Mm -hmm. not knowing how to cope. And here I am, a a 25 year old man uh, trapped inside of this identity of being this fat Chris Farley like character. Um, but when I looked at myself in the mirror, I knew I was slowly dying and, and I didn't know how to deal with that side of things. Did you try Um, to lose weight in any way during this period, Marty, or did you just from the time that you were bullied onward to when you were teaching school, did you just play that self-deprecating role? Kind of, as you said, uh, it's a safety measure if you started it first before everybody else, or did you, were you at the same time trying to lose weight before you went on to The Biggest Loser or no? Yeah. Yes, uh, my whole life. Um, So by the time, in a rather traumatic way, uh, if we have the time for me to explain a little bit of that when I was was a kid. So in order to play football, there was a weight limit. Um, I had to weigh um, 105 pounds when I was uh, 10 years old. 
And then when I was on the 11 and 12 year old team, the weight limit went up to 125. Um, well, I remember when I was 10 years old, I had to lose about 15 pounds. And so I did that. I crash dieted, uh, basically the last month as probably any kid would do, they would wait till the last month when practices start and then weigh themselves in and go, Oh my gosh, I'm way overweight. And then I have to lose weight. So I did that as a 10 year old, I lost about 15 pounds in a month. I don't remember getting very much guidance on that at all. Even though my mom was a nurse, I don't remember, um, all that much coaching of helping. It was just, I was being encouraged to not eat very much. That's what I remember. Was anyone else in your family heavy, Marty? Everybody, or just you? Okay. Everybody, all right, my so... whole family was morbidly obese. Okay. My whole family, including distant relatives. I mean, my whole family uh, up and down. Uh, so this is, is genetics, you know, at work as well. So then when I was 11, um, I had to lose 15 pounds again. When I was 12, I had to lose 40 pounds in a month just to play football. I missed the first weigh-in. And uh, so th there was a second weigh-in because I didn't make weight the first time. So it was one week into the football season. The problem with all of this, uh, everything hovering around is I was pretty much the MVP of the team. Okay. My uncle owned the team. Everywhere in town that I would go, everybody knows who you are, it seems like, and they certainly know your family and they know that you play football. Sure. I was really caught and I, I wanted I wanted to play football more than anything, but it was like almost the pressure of the community kind of resting on your shoulders. So I went to weigh in the second time after I, I failed the first time. And I was in my underwear in a gym where families were just kind of in there. I weighed in and I was a couple of ounces over. Uh, and they were like, hey, go in and pee and see if you can. can. I, try, I tried to pee. Um, I couldn't do it very much. Um, I came back out and I um, was still a couple of ounces over from what I can remember. And then uh, they told me to drop my underwear. Uh, now, I'm already a pudgy kid. Uh, Pre-pubescent, <laughs> oh, in man. in a in a gym in a public with gym, families, right? With like, family, uh. like up there trying to weigh in there. Like I remember looking over and seeing kids run around and like mothers. This wasn't just a place for like I, I couldn't believe it, and uh, and and I did it. <laughs> I I made weight. It was a kind of a humiliating experience. <laughs> that was my introduction, really, to losing weight. All of it before I was. I mean. I, you know, the age of 12. Sure. Um, and then after that, I did not want to lose weight again. I was so fed up with it. And it was a binging. It was like a, it was like, uh, I would starve myself basically for a month. And then I would just all the floodgates opened and I would binge my face off and then I would gain all this weight back. So by the time I was 13 years old, not only did I not want to do it, but I had instilled some pretty bad habits of binging. So all of that, you know, combined with the emotions of your, of your dad and, and everyone around you is fat. So it's normalized. It was just the perfect, uh, cocktail. Yeah. Yeah. And then in college, so I flash forward to college. Um, my freshman year, I decided again, I'm like, I got to do this again. I was 355 pounds. I was like, this is unacceptable. You know, I, I would like, I would like a female to like, look at me once, you know, like, let's do this. So I lost 95 pounds in about eight months. In and how did you do that? I, uh, well, um, I started working out quite a bit more because um, I wasn't working out really up until that point all that much. So I started working out and lifting weights. I probably did about an hour a day that I could remember. And I remember um, cu cutting back my my food, my eating to like lean chicken, 
broccoli and rice and I would go and get like baked beans. <laughs> it was like, it was the most nutritionally, it was the most miserable experience I'd ever been through uh, because it was so, it was just so restrictive. Mm-hmm. I, I was, I was a victim of just not knowing very much information right. at that time. I, I can hear you never had really good guidance on healthy lifestyle or nutrition and just went from, as you were saying, almost yeah. the binging and then starvation to, okay, restriction, which all kind of fits together and ends up making you miserable saying, you yeah. know, okay, I'll do this now, but ooh, never again. It goes a step beyond there because when you grow up in a, in a family, a pack of people that are all unhealthy they go the opposite way. I remember being around, you know, distant relatives and, and other people in my family. And we would, we would just straight up make fun of thin people. Like, so it wasn't even like, it was like, we're not even listening to how to be healthy. That doesn't even register on our radar of how to live life Mm -hmm. because it's never worked for any of us. So when you're a part of like, like pack mentality, it's even harder to escape. You know what I mean? It's like, and it's it's interesting that you were saying, you know, with so much weight bias going on right now, there was actually weight bias in your family for thin people. Is that what I'm hearing you say? That's exactly, that's exactly the feeling that I, that I felt growing up. They might have a different opinion, but that's kind of what, what I felt like. It was like, you know, we're on, we're on team fat here and, and, and that whole thin thing or healthy living has never really worked for us. So we just all kind of embrace this, you know? So Uh, if your whole tribe is like that, how you went on to do the biggest loser in 2006, what made, why did you make that decision based on what you're telling me about your family? Well, why I made the decision to go on the biggest loser was, um, first of all, I needed to reconcile the person who was in the mirror. Um, because like I said, I was trapped in this identity in this role of the fat guy. And when you convince the world around you that you're okay being fat, then they, they comfortably put you in that position. So they want to go out and binge eat with you. They want you to drink. I mean, we want to, you know, Marty is the vessel of, of just terrible food, you know, Mm -hmm. and people like to keep you in that role. But also I, I felt trapped. But when I looked at myself in the mirror, I just saw somebody that was really struggling. I mean, I would even tell myself like, you're worthless. I remember looking in the mirror and just saying, you're worthless. You're trapped. You're, you're not going to be able to get out of this. Cause deep inside, I didn't want to be this fat. I didn't want to be a 25 year old who was 355 pounds and, and not able to do basic movements, you know? That's not what you dream up when you're a little kid. Sure, who absolutely. And Especially so, uh, as, yeah, as much as you love sports and being active and, yeah. all, and all of that, I can see where that need to break out and break through was very yeah. strong in you. And good thing it was very strong it, it was in a, you. Yeah, it was a fall. It was a, a, a long fall from grace from where I was when I was a kid and an athlete and the MVP of this team. So I knew that there was better inside of me it's probably the reaction that I was having when I was looking in the mirror and just saying, man, there's better inside of you. And, uh, and the biggest loser seemed like the perfect way. Now in full disclosure, uh, I was attracted to the entertainment side of things. My background, uh, I went to college for speech and theater education. So I was totally sucked in to the entertainment side of, of the biggest loser. And, and, 
the potential to maybe be on TV and that kind of stuff. I was just very interested in that. So I did really that draw that... you in more, Marty? Did that draw no, you in more than the weight say... loss or was it like a dual desire, if you will? It was almost like a business decision for me. And it's really, yeah. really weird. But I looked at it like I look at most things and I thought to myself, you have a really good shot because you've lost weight many times in your life. You know you can do it. I, and I know once I put my mind to it, whatever it is I'm doing, I'm going to do. So the weight side, I was the least bit intimidated about. I was not intimidated. And then on the other side, I thought your whole life you've lived with this persona of the fat guy. My license plates in high school said I'm fat. I have, you know, my scrapbook of all these different things. I would, I was on the co-ed dance team. I would dress up as, as Santa Claus for different things. Like I was all, I was, I was a big guy, but I was never, never like riddled by insecurity. I was always exploited myself. Mm -hmm. So I had all this great documentation to walk in there and go, look at all the stuff I've done as a fat guy. I'm your dream. Like I am your dream contestant because I'm not just here telling you stories. I'm showing you, look at yeah. these license plates. Like this is who I am inside and out. And I'm going to be able to lose as much weight as anybody on the show. I just went in there with a different sense of confidence and I knew that I was going to make it. Like I just, I just knew it. And, and the reason I had that confidence is because I, I, I don't know. I just, um, I, I knew, I knew I was supposed to make it. it okay. It's just great. So people are going to be saying, well, I've heard a lot of things about this show. So since you come from both sides, you, you are used to being in front of a crowd. You understand the entertainment business. Let's talk about what really went on behind the scenes in terms of lifestyle, the diet, the exercise, actually, and the psychological support. Let's tell us about that. Okay. Let's start with psychological support because that'll be quick. There was a psychological screening at the very beginning to make sure that you weren't crazy. Um, and then other than that, it was, it was just the show. I mean, I remember at one point the psychologist came in once to like talk and, Hey, how you guys doing? Just wanted to make sure you guys aren't, you know, things aren't too bad here is what it felt like. Mm -hmm. Um, but there, there is no program, uh, psychologically for the biggest loser. As far as, uh, nutrition, we met one day with a dietitian, mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Cheryl Forberg, um, she took us on a grocery store tour. She gave us her book. I think she signed it for a couple of us. We had her cookbook. We had one day we could ask questions um, and we went on a grocery store tour. I did learn some stuff with nutrition. It, it, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. Uh, it's gonna, it has to be something that has to be shaped over a period of time where I learned most of my nutrition information from, whether it was right, wrong or whatever, was actually through our trainers. Um, because they were there every single day. They would have at least one meal with us a day where we were cooking. Uh, on the show, they didn't have – there were not chefs. There weren't people feeding you food. We had to – the only thing they wouldn't let you do is they would not let you leave the the ranch. Mm -hmm. You couldn't leave because they needed control over you at all times. So you would write a grocery list of the healthy things that you wanted. We did some fruits and veg mm -hmm. fruits, lots of vegetables, um, and uh, spaghetti squash and and protein um so uh that's what we got used to writing down and, and learning a lot about and learning from the trainers mostly so i'm hearing kind of um, a sense of negativity from your experience on the show were there negative effects that you feel 
you experience from being on the show? You know, I don't have complaints really about the nutrition on the show all that much. Um, other than the fact that it, I think it's just kind of surprising to people, uh, that there wasn't more nutrition consultation or guidance given, um, other than day, day to day interactions with your, with your trainer. Um, that's just not what people generally think. They think that you have like a staff of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was eating about, uh, I was eating between 16 and 1700 calories a day. Okay, is what we we were eating, uh, me in particular. Uh, where we got that number was from the doctor on The Biggest Loser. He did all of our he did our metabolism testing in multiple ways before the show. They did DEXA scans of our bodies to show us our our composition, our body composition, and he had a formula for how many calories. That information got relayed to our trainers, size between, you know, five and eight hours a day. Um, and, and many times, I mean, we would burn probably between five and 6,000 calories a day. And I know that because we wore a heart rate monitor every single day. And that was would be our homework. So we would spend a whole day with our trainer. Uh, Bob was my trainer. And then our homework would be to burn another 1,000 calories after he left uh, before the next day. Exercise to me is something that is just completely not maintainable at all. Yeah. At all. Right. For and any, for anybody. Eating. I mean, that would yeah. be in me your entire yeah. life. You know, yeah. And you, if you don't do anything else, <laughs> no, no. so that and is hard happen. because the stakes are so high and there's millions of people watching, watching you, or, you know, they're going to be watching you and the stakes are so high. What happens on the show is this and get this. We never cheat. We never once cheat. I never cheated in, in eight and a half months. I never deviate. I never went above 1700 calories. And, and then you couple that with the exercise. And I remember toward the end of the biggest loser, I was at home training for the finale. It was about three months out and I was at 240 pounds. I'd lost 125 pounds and that scale would not move. So imagine this waking up, being very disciplined with your eating and, and working out at this time. I think I scaled it back a little bit to like five hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and for about two and a half, three months straight, never seeing that scale move one pound down. Yeah, I don't think that's unusual. What did yeah. you, uh, what did you learn? Well, I can hear that you learned a lot of things, but did anything change you from that experience of being on the show? Yeah. Yes. I mean, first of all, what people should know is I met my wife on the show. Ah! So Wonderful. Uh, so yeah. And what's even crazier is she's actually from Omaha, Nebraska as well. Oh my so gosh. we never knew each other until we met on the show. She was on my team, the blue team, and we sparked a relationship and now we're married and we moved back here to Omaha. So that's the, that's the biggest, if I didn't say that I'd be in trouble at home. So I've got to say that. Um, and then, uh, the two big things that I really took away is I, I realized um, that the guy I was before The Biggest Loser, I was an extreme people pleaser. And um, I I just learned that I, I just, I didn't fill up my bucket of value by focusing on myself ever. So it was always about other people. In my case, it was my students. It was always about other people and my kids and all of the other stuff I was doing external. But the biggest loser forces you to focus on yourself. And when I did that, I learned that I learned that I I love myself. I learned that I'm worth working on every single day. And I'm so I was so angry at myself for just 
turning a blind eye and not caring about myself. And so I walked away from the Biggest Loser experience, not only with a wife, but um, with kind of a renewed vigor in life where I I said to myself two things. A, I need Marty time. I need time for myself. And B, I'm never going to give up on myself again. Because when I give up on myself, it's just going to turn into a mountain of weight and problems again. Mm -hmm. And I found that I was just avoiding all these little microscopic problems uh, throughout my life. I wasn't taking them head on. And then I had to deal with them all at one time with 150 pounds to lose. And I'm like, I can't do this. I can't turn away from this conflict anymore. And so how I phrase that is it just I never want to give up on myself again. I want to be honest, self I, ha- I want to have self-honesty every day and ask myself the tough questions and be willing to work on them, whether it's with my weight or my self-confidence or whatever area it is. Well, and I love this because in a very little time, we're almost out of time. I want to ask a couple of questions, but first I want to make a comment. What I love is that besides coming away with a wonderful, lovely wife, you came away with finding yourself and saying that self-care and self-love need to be at the top of your list instead of being a people pleaser. I think that message is so powerful for everyone. So, so powerful. It is because people get lost in helping other people. I mean, we, we go in the direction in life that we find value. And if looking at yourself in the mirror isn't filling up your bucket and you're just looking external, 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 um, and you're looking that externally to fill up that value, um, to lose weight, you, you have to get in touch with who you are. You have to be willing to take on those internal conflicts and look within yourself and not give up. And I talk, I, I have a class called train your brain here at my health club. I have a health club here in Omaha and, uh, I, I teach train your brain. And I say, if you see yourself as just a, 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 a junk a, a junkyard 72 tempo. See yourself as a serviceable, you know, SUV that can get you from point A to point B. Maybe it's not the Ferrari, but it's certainly not worth. It, it certainly is worth getting the oil changed. It's worth rotating those tires and putting energy into it. It's all in how you see yourself. And we might look at the person at the other gym who's staring at himself in the mirror and call him vain. But at the end of the day, there's something in that guy. There is self-value that he has that I have historically not proven to have myself, and I want more of it. And And I I don't shy away from healthier people. They inspire me. Even though I have a health club for overweight people here, and most of the people come to my club because they don't want to be around healthy people. Right. Which and, is and because what you have to offer is positive and motivating and uh, you're welcoming all of those things. But now before I finish, I want to go because it didn't just end with The Biggest Loser. You made the decision. You chose to have weight loss surgery. When was that, Marty? And why did you go to that next step? You know, it had been percolating for about a year and a half. And I just started realizing for the first time that maybe because of the excessive exercising on the show and the extreme caloric deficiency uh, that I went through for about nine months, 
um, that maybe I'm not like, I'm not cookie cutter, like an, another fat person that's out there. And I just started thinking to myself, you know, uh, and a lot of other people from the biggest loser had went on to have bariatric surgery. My wife then had it probably about a year, exactly a year ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I've, so I've saw her success, um, over the last year and it was about September of, uh, 2017. So probably, you know, just about seven, eight months ago that I just decided, you know, my, I will admit my wife had to sign me up for all the initial doctor's appointments. She's <laughs> like, you're doing it. I'm signing you up. Cause I'd say it, but then I would just ho-hum and she's like, you're doing it. So, um, she signed me up for all of it. And I, of course I went, I faithfully went and, and, and I was, I was all in, um, and I had to lose 30 pounds before I could get surgery. And uh, I, I lost 30 pounds. I've had surgery and now I'm down 70 pounds total. I call uh, the surgery because I had the sleeve, I had the gastric sleeve. Um, and so far, so I'm, I'm about two months into this thing. Uh, and it has been just a complete gift. It, it's been a complete gift. And I, um, I, I have just the sense of confidence I have a sense of control over food that I've never had before in my life. I mean, to be able to wake up every day and know, first of all, that I, A, I like to eat healthy, but B, to know that even if I slid off the rockers, I went nuts. Um, there is this restrictor. There's this governor, so to speak, on, on my ability to accelerate where I have historically abused. And so just that gives me a sense of calmness mm -hmm. and freedom that I have never really had before. It's just, it's a new journey completely. I'm still learning about it. Um, but I, I just have to say, I'm so relieved that I decided to do it because it is a tool that, um, th that is unlike any other that I have, that I have tried so far. And I've lost, you know, over 300 pounds in my life, uh, through various weight loss efforts. And I'm so. glad that you're having such a positive outcome and your good success story with it. Okay. As we wrap up, I want to ask you just one last question. Sure, I know, yeah, I know Marty that sometimes you speak to health professionals such as myself, with, you know, that messages around weight bias, because weight bias, is a big issue right now. And on how, um, they could be most helpful, how health professionals can be most helpful to their clients. Would you tell us a bit more about that? We have a lot of health professionals who also listen to this podcast, as well as many other patients who are like yourself. They're just either getting ready to have surgery or they've just come out on the other side. What would you say to the health professionals listening in terms of weight bias and the messages they can take? Well, uh, that's a really good question, and thank you for asking it because I don't get asked that question very often. A, a lot of my um, my attitude or my perspective on this has come from getting to know the medical community and doctors specifically. I've run programs with doctors hand-in-hand hand here in Omaha. So what I kind of learned from their perspective is this hesitancy, they would start coming to me, asking me like, what do I do in this situation? Like, how do I, how do I talk to this person? <laughs> and I started realizing, oh my gosh, I am, I am the chubby whisper. Like they're coming to me. This person who has all this uh, 
much more education than I do, finds value in coming to me because they realize that something that they say could go one way or another way. And here's what happens at the end of the day is um, I've learned that sometimes what happens in that doctor's office visit um, can determine whether that patient comes back or not. And, um, and so doctors that I, I've come in contact with seem to be a little hesitant on what, how do, how do we approach uh, people of size? Do I come, do I give them tough love or extreme empathy on the other side of things? Like how, how what approach do, do I have? And, and I know that as, um, you know, as somebody who's, who's been in and out of doctors my whole life, I've, I've had some, some people, uh, some doctors in my life that, um, I think have really struggled with that rapport. Um, so in general, I get a sense that uh, doctors sometimes are hesitant on what's the best approach. Cause I, I want to make a difference, but I feel like too much empathy and I'm not really asking people of size, the tough questions. And I tend to err on the side uh, of asking them the tough questions. And because you, at the end me, of the day- Let me interject yeah, right there. Ahead. Yeah. Do you think that varies though, Marty, person to person? Do you think some people Completely. need- I, I don't, it's just like in dieting. There's no one size fits all. There's no one diet quote that works for everybody. You have to really, really look at the person and what's going on in their life. Do you think the same when you're talking about how you approach someone and their weight? I really do. And, and then when I step back and I think the amount of time it takes to get to know somebody on that level to where you would finally understand how to phrase what you need to say to motivate them the best. Doctors don't have that much time. Yeah, in a 15 I was going to say that, that just isn't so reality. My, no. uh, my approach generally is I, I feel like it, certain things medically should be addressed in that room concerns, but I feel like there should be somebody like me attached to, um, attached to clinics or hospitals or whatever that can actually case managers that can get to know these people on a more personal level and help them with their goals. I don't understand. You know, I feel like what doctors are, are trying to accomplish in there. I, I know when people come into my health club, sometimes it takes two hours to sit down and talk to this person. I'm hoping it ends up in a membership. Um, but I have to sit there and listen to this person and understand a whole life of, 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 of issues that they have gone through. And if I cut them off, if I cut them off, I'm going to be like everybody else in their life that it's just like, I don't care. I don't have the time. Right. And that's what these people need. They just want to be heard. And that's, they want to, they just desperately want to connect. Sure. But I don't feel like that but can really that, happen. 15 minute consultation. In well, there, you know, the current medical model as we know it in the U S doesn't allow for that. I mean, you have less than 15 minutes to see someone. Basically you're coming in looking at, or someone they're being evaluated, deciding about surgery and going on. So this you're right. So unless they're working with a dietitian or a psychologist or a team of people ahead of time, that's not happening. Yeah. I, I, I really think that there, I, and I'm just a layman at this, but I, I really see the, 
you know, that the medical industry moving in different directions, even right now. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, before too long, there, there will be probably people like myself, people who are, um, health advocates for people to really help them help guide them along their journey. People who can kind of be coaches that get to know, um, they get to know the patients a little bit more, uh, intimately, um, because it's just, and to help basically reinforce what the doctors are actually saying and what the doctors want and the doctor's results, you know, they all work hand in hand, but, um, to be able to solve a lot of these problems in a quick, uh, 15 minute conversation where you're, you're just trying to make the biggest difference, um, I just don't see it being able to work all that effectively. Yeah, I mean, I've spent my life here at my health club just trying to connect and get to know people. And it's just, you know, it's just, uh, it, it just takes a lot longer than that. You know? well, really I want to tell you, keep doing what you're doing. And I want to thank you so much for taking the time today to share a very personal story, Marty, but also to give some eye-opening information that will make everybody think. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you so much for, for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. I, I love the chance to tell my story and, um, and hopefully people uh, got something out of this today. So absolutely. Thank you. Well, don't you just love how Marty has overcome so much hurt and sadness with a passion to help others. I do. It is so empowering and it shows us no matter how low we feel, there's hope to overcome and to go forward. And it's so important to hear all about the issues you face, what you can do about them to stay powered, empowered, to move on with your life, to make a difference. And that's what we do here on the Beyond Bariatric Surgery podcast. We're about your success. So don't forget, check out the website, beyondbariatricsurgery.com. You can find out more about Marty there. You can find out all the other things we offer too, courses, supplements, whatever it is you may need. Don't forget, Go check out the closed Facebook group called Bariatric Surgery Eating. You can be a part of the group and interact as much or as little as you like. It's a very supportive group. So go to Bariatric Surgery Eating, request to join. They're free resources for all of our members, and this podcast is one of them. Beyond Bariatric Surgery is produced and owned by Practicalories, LLC. All rights reserved. Remember, the content provided on this podcast is for information purposes only and doesn't create a patient-provider relationship. It's intended to provide reference material and is not designed to provide medical advice. Please consult your healthcare provider regarding any medical issues you have relating to symptoms, conditions, diseases, diagnosis, treatments, and side effects. Podcast guests express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions which do not necessarily reflect or agree with the host's Great Ideas in Nutrition or Practicalities, LLC.